TomDispatch.com. This is TomCast. Interviews and insight from Tom Dispatch contributors for anyone seeking a deeper understanding of our post-9-11 world and a clear sense of how our global imperial system actually works. I'm Timothy McBain. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking again with William Dubuis, an environmental activist and author most recently of A Great Aridness, Climate Change and the Future of the American Southwest. We talked about the recent heat waves and droughts across the country and where we stand along the predicted path of climate change. One of the points you bring up in your article is the inaccuracy of describing our current climate conditions as a perfect storm. As, as you point out, a storm is, quote, sudden, violent, and temporary, whereas the climate change that has been well documented over the past decades is anything but. Could you talk about what got us to this point and where we are headed as a planet if we continue on our current trajectory? Well, way back in uh, 2007, the IPCC came out with its predictions for this century and basically said we could expect to get four degrees Celsius hotter this century. And that, and the predictions varied from region to region. So I'm speaking specifically of the Southwest, uh, the region I know best. It said we might get four degrees centigrade hotter this century. Well, we're not quite a full degree along that journey so far, and already around us we see enormous changes in the landscape. They include the fires that have been in the news, the record high temperatures that have been set all over the country. They include insect outbreaks in forest communities that have destroyed forests from Colorado to British Columbia. They include uh, direct die-offs of forest stands that, uh, for instance, in in Texas, in the course of last summer's uh, heat wave, something between 2 and 10% of all the trees in Texas died from the heat and uh, desiccation of that uh, terrible heat wave. So these are the kinds of changes we're beginning to see around us right now at this early stage in our century's journey toward 4 degrees centigrade. One of the problems is that that prediction of 4 degrees centigrade increase is probably now too conservative because Greenhouse gases are going up faster than the models contemplated, the models that produce the uh, four-degree increase. A a lot of people think our our journey toward that four-degree increase is going to be nice and smooth and linear, and and that's probably not correct, that uh, things are going to go ahead by uh, radical jumps at times and by um, nonlinear kind of processes. One of the reasons for this is that there are all kinds of feedback loops built into how the climate operates. Now, some of these are in the models, the predictive models that climatologists have produced, and some aren't yet because the models are still being refined and and being made more complex to reflect the complexity of the actual world. One of those big feedback loops is the possibility of getting a lot of methane emission from permafrost thawing in the Arctic regions. Another is the possible big pulse of, or, 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 or periodic pulse of carbon release from forests as they die back or are destroyed by fire. So our journey toward the heating of the century is going to be jumpy, abrupt, 
hard to handle and hard to predict in its small details. But uh, it's a journey that, uh, frankly, is going to put the entire planet at peril. And and moving away from, uh, as you described, the, the American Southwest as, as your area of expertise and the area you're most familiar with, what about other regions of the country, especially agricultural areas like Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois? How are they going to be affected in the upcoming years? The, the effects of the of warming are going to be felt especially hard in agriculture, and we're seeing that uh, this summer with the terrific drought and heat wave at work through the Midwest and, and uh, what we used to call the Corn Belt. Uh, grain prices are already rising. Uh, we'll see how the harvest turn out. Not too many years ago when this happened before, there were global repercussions in that there were food riots in various locations in Africa and Asia as the impact of higher grain prices came home to uh, local communities globally. So agriculture is going to be heavily dislocated as the climate warms in location after location. And uh, it's going to be quite a struggle to keep the planet fed, keep the people on the planet fed as these uh, massive changes take place. And I, I suppose another issue as well dealing with you know the Corn Belt would be biofuels. And the cost of biofuels is seen as like an alternative source of energy. How is that going to be affected? The, the, the cost of biofuels or the demand for biofuels uh, simply compounds this problem. There have been quite a few analyses that indicate that biofuels are a bit of an illusion, particularly in, in North America when you talk about corn. There are some biofuels, perhaps the sugarcane uh, used in Brazil has a better return in in its energy budget, but uh, biofuels will certainly complicate the uh, the difficulty of feeding the people of the planet as the planet warms. And what do you make of the argument that's commonly evoked by climate change deniers that we're simply experiencing part of the natural cycle of the Earth's ecosystem? Well, the problem the the problem with those deniers is that they're simply not connecting the dots. Sure, there have always been droughts. Sure, there have always been heat waves. But the odds of having droughts of the intensity and heat waves of the intensity that we are experiencing today, the odds of these things occurring relative to any sane measurable baseline that we have in the recent past, those odds are so slim that only an underlying change in the climate of the planet can account for what we're experiencing. The heat wave in Texas and Oklahoma last year uh, had a likelihood of occurring relative to a baseline taken from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s of less than point. 1.3%, which is to say less than two-tenths, far less than two-tenths of 1%. The likelihood of these extreme droughts and heat waves occurring is so very slim that, we, that they beggar the odds. And the only way we can explain them is to ascribe them to an underlying change in the climate. 
The EPA was founded in 1970 under the Nixon administration and, you know, was quite groundbreaking at the time. But the agency has seen, as far as I understand it, its powers of oversight diminish considerably over the past several decades. Who has the influence to weaken the EPA to such a degree? And is there anyone with the power to move it in the opposite direction? I think the only way for the EPA to reemerge as the the robust agency it was intended to be is to have uh, a president and a Congress who firmly believe, as they should, that the environmental health of the United States is part of the health of the whole nation, and uh, a president and a Congress who will stand behind the EPA it, as it makes difficult decisions and calls uh, our society and our industry to account for protecting uh, the environment on which we, de- we so clearly depend. And uh, are there any organizations that have enough influence to maybe motivate the executive and, and uh, legislative branches of government to move in that direction? Well, we have lots and lots of very fine nonprofits, environmental groups in the country who are all clamoring for the kind of support for EPA that we should have. But unfortunately, uh, the judgment at the highest levels of politics in the United States is that environmental issues don't win votes. And so environmental issues have been going by the board as we progress witness the current presidential campaign. Hopefully, the environmental will uh, rise in importance as the debate continues, and hopefully the debate will be about things that actually matter and not just about personality and style. To read William DeBuise's latest article, The Oxygen Planet Struts Its Stuff, not a perfect storm, but the new norm in the American West, please visit TomDispatch.com. You can also find his latest book, A Great Aridness, at Amazon.com or at any quality bookstore near you. I'm Timothy McBain, and until we meet again, thanks for listening.